Hello, everybody. Good to see you guys. Uh, as Eliza had mentioned last week, I really want to encourage you to come to the retreat. So as she mentioned before, if you're kind of on the, on the fence, just do it. So I know for me, I was talking with someone before service, like retreat are some of my most fondest memories as a Christian is spending time in retreat. Not just spending time with each other, but just extended time we're focusing on the Lord. So I want to encourage you to do that. Well, today I have the privilege of introducing our guest speaker for not only today, but he's also going to be our guest speaker at the retreat too. His name is Pastor Sam Bang. And uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit more recently. And I really appreciate uh, just getting to know him as a fellow brother, just his heart and his love for God and his love for your wor his word too. And so I'm really uh, looking forward to this time. So let's give him a, a nice welcome, <laughs> Pastor Sam. All right, well, thank you. Um, the fact that I'm going to be the retreat speaker, uh, you, for those of you on the fence, I guess this is important, right? You're gonna, you're gonna decide after today, so a little bit more pressure. Hopefully you will respond yes, instead of, uh, I'll pass. Um, oops. Do I need this? I don't need this, right? Oh, sorry. So I'm going to be reading a rather extended passage from uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15, so 15 verses. But oftentimes when we hear a passage out of context, if we don't know what the passage is about, it's hard to fully understand. So I just want to take a brief moment to put this passage in context. So um, the best way for me to do that is by uh, reading Romans 15, 25, 16. Here Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he concludes at the latter part of his letter, he says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem. So Paul's talking about his plan. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Aid is financial package, like uh, welfare gifts that he's collected. He says, I'm bringing aid to the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So Apostle Paul, recognizing that there's a need among the poor in Jerusalem, goes through around the churches that he's planted and he's collecting from them a gift, collecting them from them contributions that they can give to the church in Jerusalem. Okay, That's the context. Now, the church in Corinth was one of those churches that decided that they wanted to give to this program. They wanted to give to the saints in Jerusalem. So a year ago, before our passage today, a year ago, Paul visits Corinth, and they began the work of collecting. What that really consisted of was really telling the people what the need is, and the people praying and deciding to make a commitment. It's like a pledge. They made a dedication. And now a year has passed, and I'm talking really fast because I do want to end this in 30 minutes. So I'm, I don't usually talk this fast, but I'm going to talk kind of fast today. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, but so what Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church is the pledge that they made a year ago to finish it. And he's doing that in today's passage. Today's passage is an encouragement to the Corinthian church to finish what they started a year ago. Let your actions be complete. Let your actions be in sync with the desires that you shared a year ago. Okay, that's the passage today. And in doing so, he's going to give an example of an extraordinary grace 
that was given to the church in Macedonia, the church in Philippi. This church was impoverished. It was a poor church. And this church gave beyond their means in an incredible way. So Paul uses the illustration of the Macedonian church to spur on the Corinthians to finish their work. Okay? So that's the context. So I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. I think it's going to be up there with you. And this is from the English Standard Version, ESV. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been giving among, given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, <clears throat> their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor, the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as, that as he has started, so he should complete among you, this is a church in Corinth, this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burden, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let us pray. Our Father, we come to your word because it nourishes us. It is life to us. And Lord, today we don't want to just learn some principles about giving. We don't want to learn about how to give, although that's important. And what we want to what we ask your spirit to do today is to inspire us. We want you to touch our affections and our hearts, inspire us to see Paul's mind at work, how Paul thinks biblically and theologically about situations. And from watching Paul think, Lord, help us to be inspired to want that for ourselves, for, for ourselves to be biblically minded, people who are shaped by the knowledge of you and the word of God, so that we also may bear witness to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm just going to do a little quick exercise. So you guys are a lot younger than I am, and you guys may be a lot more agile, so this may not be as good of an illustration as I imagined it when I was doing it. So, all right, so go ahead and cross your arms, okay? You guys got it? Okay, 
Now, I want you to cross your arm the other way with the other hand, arm on top. Okay. Now, let me ask you, uh, when you did it the second time, did you pause for a moment? Because it felt awkward, right? It's a little bit different. When I was doing it at home, I actually couldn't do it. I was like, wait a minute. So I called my son and said, hey, is this right? Does this look? Okay. So let me just point out this. I use this illustration to make this quick point. One is that when I asked you to cross your arms, how many of you thought about what you were doing? How many of you said, okay, cross my arms. Okay, let's see. I take my right arm. I put it right here. Oh, yeah. And then I take my left arm. Wait, no, is it my right? No, I put it like this. No one thinks like that. No one acts like that. We don't live life like that, right? We do it instinctively. Why? Because it's something we've learned to do. And that's how our brain works. Our brain has a very limited capacity so that in order for it to manage all the things that's going in our life, it automates things. It makes processes. These are often called habits, right? So when you drive your car, when, do you, you guys might actually, be, some of you actually might be young enough, and I know there's going to be some high school seniors at the retreat, so there's actually some folks here, so I apologize. I'm not ignoring you. You guys are spread out. Um, some of you might remember how sort of crazy it was to try to learn, right? You got 40 different things you're trying to remember as you're driving. No one does that anymore. You just start your engine, and before you know it, you're on the road. I remember when my kids, I, my kids are on their uh, mid-20s, when, when my children were little, I remember trying to teach them how to tie their shoelaces. And it was like teaching them calculus or something. It was just difficult. They, they just had a hard time. I thought they would be on Velcro for the rest of their life, right? Like, here, just stay with Velcro. But now, once they learned it, learned the process, right, and they do it again and again by repetition, the brain makes it into a rote action that it can automatically trigger without us thinking about it. Most human life, most of our life is lived in that way. We don't think about what it is that we're doing. That is why it is so important that the Bible emphasizes training in godliness. The way that God transforms us is not that he makes us think about every decision to try to make the right decision, but he transforms our heart's affections, our minds, and our habits so that instinctively we do what we ought to do, that we do what pleases God. Follow that? That's the transformation. That's what it means to grow in sanctification, to grow in the likeness of Christ. It's not trying to figure out every decision. You're not going to be able to do that. So the way we do it is we transform the way we think about decisions, the way we think about ethics, the way we think about issues and topics. And the reason I share, uh, share this principle with you is that the Apostle Paul is a wonderful example. This passage is, is uh, you saw me get choked up a little bit, and let me just preface that by saying, um, I had food poisoning last night. My wife and I both did. So we're up way late into the night uh, taking turns vomiting and using, you know, the other, the other things that accompany food poisoning. So it was draining. So I think I'm low on sugar and so forth. So I'm not as normally that emotional. But the reason if I am emotional, 
uh, just to let you know, like, holy cow, is this guy going to cry, like reading the Bible at the retreat? I, I don't know if I want to handle that much emotional. Uh, the reason I get choked up, however, is because this passage, it has wonderful, it has like a dozen good principles about charitable giving. Probably the best passage about how to give benevolently, okay? This passage is one of the best. But I, I, I love this passage because Paul does something here that inspires me. The way he thinks about this situation and the way his mind naturally goes to the word of God to shape his thinking. Okay? And that's what I want you to see. What I want you to see is how Paul thinks, how Paul um, sees his context, sees his dilemma, and how his mind uses the word of God to be able to address what he sees as a potential problem to this um, request that he's making to the Corinthians. And I want you to be inspired by that. I want you to say, man, it's like watching Michael Jordan in his prime. You all know who Michael Jordan is, right? Is it Kobe Bryant, more, more of this group? But if you watch something beautiful, if you watch, like I remember watching in the Olympics, Kim Yuna, she's an um, Olympic gold medalist in Korea, a uh, few, few Olympiads ago. I remember watching that performance, her gold medal winning performance. I would just remember like almost being in tears, not emotional, but just being in tears, moved because it was so beautiful. We get inspired by something that is amazing and extraordinary. And I want you to see and be inspired by Paul and the way his mind works. And I want you to be inspired so that you will actually want that for yourself. Because the heart has to pursue it, right? If you just go to the word, because you have to go to the word. I was, I was on a trip with a friend recently, and I said, how, you know, I was his pastor before. We're, we're more friends now. And I asked him, like, how his Bible reading is going? Like, I go, do you, do you still read the Bible regularly? He goes, yeah, I do. I go, do you enjoy it? He goes, no, I hate it. I go, then why do you do it? He goes, ah, oh, because I feel like I have to. He's a very kind of a... Um, responsible person. He's one of those people that if it's his responsibility, he feels like he has to do it, right? So if you're kind of in the mode of feeling like you have to go to the Word because it's something you should do as a Christian, you're never really going to absorb it and let it shape you because God's desire is to change our heart's affection. So um, so I want you to see how Paul's mind's working. So Paul is, as I mentioned earlier, He's encouraging the church in Corinth to finish what they started a year ago, right? He says, you had this great desire. Not only did you have the resolution to do it, the resolution was accompanied by desire. So there's these principles of joyful giving, right? It's out of our will. We're not obligated. We don't begrudgingly like, all right, all right here's. No, he there's, says there's this will, a desire, and there's a resolution. And Paul says, now I want you to finish it, finish this work. Finish this work. But in telling and encouraging and exhorting the Corinthian church to finish this work, Paul anticipates a major objection. He anticipates that the Corinthian church might come back and say something along the lines of, yeah, you know, I know I made that pledge a year ago, but if I give, um, what about me? What if, what if my giving affects me and my family's ability to make ends meet, right? Or how about, mm, uh, you know, I said I was going to give, but then I realized it kind of doesn't sound fair. I'm working hard, 
and you want me to give to other people who I don't know. And where's the fairness and equity in that? So he anticipates these questions, and Paul addresses this. Okay, so Paul does this quite often in his writing. He anticipates objection, and then he answers them, right? And he answers, and he gives three reasons why the Corinthians should do what they do, okay? I'm going to move through these really quick. The first two I'm just going to point out to you because uh, I just want you to see it, okay? I'm going to read you the verses again. It's verses 12 through 15. His response to the potential objection is threefold, and he gives it in verses 12 through 15. He says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The first response, response to the potential objection is simple. Paul says, listen. I'm not saying for you to be like the Macedonians. The Macedonians were the extraordinary. It is the exception to the rule. What happened in Macedonia was an extraordinary thing. It's not the norm. Because the Corinthians might be thinking, well, uh, Paul's saying like the Macedonians gave beyond their means. Like, is he expecting us to like go into poverty in order to do, meet our obligation? Paul says, no, no, no. What happened in Macedonia is the exception, not the norm. What I want you to know is that God accepts what you give out of what you have, not what you don't have. This is really important to know. Paul says, don't worry about it. If you don't have it, God's not expecting you to go into debt and poverty to give it. There may be occasions like Macedonia, but that is not the norm. Paul says, it is acceptable to God if you give out of what you have, not what you don't have. That's his reason number one for what he potentially anticipates as an objection. And the second reason he gives is he says, in doing this, in giving out of what you have, you are actually imitating Jesus Christ, right? Because imitating and following Christ is the end goal of every believer. So he tells the Corinthians, in doing this, you are imitating Jesus Christ, who, though rich, became poor so that we might become rich through his poverty. So those are his two base arguments that he starts. But this third part is what always gets me. I love this third part. It's about fairness. And this is the part that I want you to see how Paul's mind works. Paul quotes at the end of this passage, an Old Testament verse. Most of us have Bibles now that are online or are cross-referenced. So if you look at the text, it will tell you where that verse is from. And that verse is from Exodus 16 on the story of the manna. What is amazing here is that Paul is now put, facing a particular situation in his context. He's living in, this is probably like, you know, common era, 60, 70, or somewhere there. He's living in his context, and he draws from the word of God that occurred thousands of years ago. And from that story and that text, he, he's able to draw principles that he can apply to his life 
and to the life of the Corinthian church right now. That's the beauty of it. For those of you who read the Old Testament and sometimes wonder, like, like, why, what is the point of all this? Be inspired. Paul was, he probably memorized, I, I, back in those days, uh, the rabbis, like Paul, would know most of the Torah via memory. He was saturated with the word of God. And because he was, the Holy Spirit could use anything in the Old Testament to give Paul wisdom and guidance in the life that he was living now the ethical decisions he had to make, right? And where does Paul's mind go to when he's thinking about the potential objection of, is it fair? Is it fair that we should suffer, right? What does it say? Verse uh, 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So he's, this is the anticipated question. Corinthians saying, we're going to be burdened and they're going to be eased. Is that fair? We're going to be burdened, and they're going to be eased. Is that fair? And in anticipation or in response to that anticipated objection, Paul's mind goes to the Old Testament. And what story does he go to? He goes to the story of the manna. Okay? And for time's sake, I'm not going to actually, well, I can, I'm not going to cut through. I'm going to read you guys a couple of verses from that story, okay? Now, the text that Paul's mind goes to is found in Exodus 16, and it's verse 14 through 18. I think if you can put that up there now, perfect. It says, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, which is about two to three liters, okay, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is where Paul getting his quote. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Now, you've all seen this, right? I'm sorry, I should stay behind here, but you've all seen this. Easter egg hunt, you know, little kids, they're running around, and there are always some kids who are like fast. They're like rabbits. They just, as if rabbits do that, but they, they just, they're just grabbing eggs, right? They're, they're, their basket is full within a minute. And then there are always the little shy ones, the little quieter ones, maybe younger just having a hard time balancing themselves, walking, you know. They're looking for their eggs. They're, they're, they may or may not find barely one. Well, that was kind of like what it was like in the manna. Imagine thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in the wilderness. The dew comes, the dew lifts, and there's frosted flake. And God says, go. Go get your own. Get what you need. And you can see, you know there's the A-types, right? Who are the A-types in this group? <laughs> okay. I, I've been told that you guys, lot, most of you are really just high-achieving, you know, hard-working folks. So you all are the kind of group that would go out like, man, it's like, okay, it's, uh, it's about to fall. Man, it's coming at 5 o'clock. You know, the chicken, you guys are going out, and you're gathering as much man as you can. And it doesn't give me a more, like, kind of relaxed, lackadaisical folks. That would be me. I'd be like, oh, it's about 7. I should go get my manna for my family, go out, start gathering some. 
And then there's going to be all the older people, the younger people, the slower people, and they gather, right? Obviously, there's going to be some who's going to gather more, and there's some who are going to gather less. And the point is that God says, by the number of people, every person is going to get an omer. So when you gather the, so you, you're coming back like this group, coming back with like bags of manna. <laughs> Did good, right? And then they say, okay, how many of you in your family? Two? Okay, we're going to give two omers. And the rest they gather, it goes into a common pool. I come in, I'm like, how many in your family? Uh, five. How much do you have? Uh, about an omer and a half. I'm like, okay, you need five omers? Here you go. And they shared it from the common pool. And the Bible says, those who gathered much did not have too much, and those who gathered little did not have too little. That in itself is a wonderful principle, okay? But I, want to, I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about is, that's the story that came to Paul's mind. That's the story that Paul inspired Paul. The Holy Spirit says, Paul, think about that story in the manna. Doesn't that apply now to the church in Corinth? They have a lot. They're blessed. The church in Jerusalem has little. Doesn't it make sense that the heart of God is always for those who have to be a blessing to those who don't? Isn't that the God that you know? Isn't that Jesus who, though rich, became poor so that we, be, we can become rich? Isn't that the God you know and follow, Paul? So Paul says, yes. So the Holy Spirit is using that story to give Paul the principle he needs to encourage the Corinthians church to finish their work. I love that. I want to think like that. I want to know God so well that when I'm faced with a dilemma, what job should I take? Where should I live? How much of money should I give to this cause? Or, how, or any kind of decision that comes our way that God can speak to me through the word of God, that the Holy Spirit can shape my mind in that way. That's, I love that. And so when I see Paul doing this, it inspires me. And I hope it inspires you to want to be shaped by the word of God as well. Let's pray. I'm just going to say a very, very short prayer, and it's one of my favorite prayers, and it comes from Psalms 119, verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your law. May it be so, Lord Jesus.